0: Trey Taylor is a J.D., an author, a speaker, and the CEO of Taylor Insurance Services, and now finally a guest on Money Savage Maximize. Welcome, Trey.
1: George, good morning. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. Trey, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do.
1: Uh, George, I run, you know, a collection of businesses uh, rooted in a family business uh, that the family has been in for decades and decades. I think that business is 53 years old this year, and it's in the uh, insurance, financial planning, and financial services space. Um, And uh, married, have two kids. Uh, We're living a beautiful life. And uh, just recently, about uh, five years ago, I had people start asking me, well, how do I do what you do in the way that you do it. And so I started a lot of consulting uh, with other firms as well. And so today, uh, you know, that's a lot of what I do during the course of a week is, uh, is consult with other people on how to improve their business operations and improve ultimately their results and hopefully uh, their lives as a result of, of that kind of work.
0: That's always a valuable thing right there. If, if, if you figured out um, how to, run something a little bit different and better and get the results that you're wanting and then actually live the life that you're wanting to live, well, then I think that that would be a certainly valuable thing. So talk to me a little bit about what it is that is so attractive to other people when, when they're on the outside looking in at, at, at what you're doing.
1: You know, I think the comment that I hear most often is uh, that people know that I'm involved in a whole bunch of different uh, things. And they say, you make it look easy. I I I wish I could do as much as you do or something of that nature. And, uh, you know, inevitably the question will come up is how do you get so much done? And I'm a tremendous believer in delegation. Uh, I think, you know, as I came up in the executive education, uh, you know, training that I received in my early career – uh, the thing that I noticed that, that the most effective executives did was delegate tasks, have them done well, and hold people accountable for the results that they were supposed to do. And you know, the smaller the business, the more we tend to get away from that very core principle when, in reality, we should embrace it more than anybody does. Because without the uh, ability to delegate and have other people help us on the mission, You know we just don't accomplish as much as we could accomplish and so uh, for me it's a it's a core religious principle that uh you know i need to do the job that i'm here to do but my people need to do the job that they've been hired to do as well
0: is it something that you've innately always always known or was there a moment where it kind of clicked for you
1: yeah, I think every executive goes through uh, not one moment, but probably dozens of them when you sort of get frustrated and you put it down and you say, why am I touching this, you know? And, uh, you know, if we if we wanted to allocate blame there, um, it's probably 50-50. Uh, we train our employees a lot of times that it's okay to delegate upwards. Uh, we give them unfettered access to our to-do list, you know? and because we want to be good executives and we want to be good people and 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 kind and easy to work with and that sort of thing we we make these little hairline compromises where we say well you know it won't hurt if i just take a look at the copy this person has submitted or yeah i know how to do that on the website so i'll just do that instead of training someone or asking them to do the job they're actually paid to do and then you know by the end of the week the month the year or the life you know, those compromises have robbed you of joy and they have gotten you off track as to where you really uh, could have been if other people had done their jobs and you had stayed in your lane and done yours.
0: That's a, that's a pretty powerful progression right there that I'd never necessarily put into, uh, heard express that at the end of the day, week, month, life. Uh, but it's so true, right? We are so wrapped up in In our day to days, that we oftentimes probably lose track of the fact that this is going to or this is your this this is your life. and if you are not careful and mindful of that, then you're not going to get what 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 you really want.
1: Yeah, it's amazing, right? You meet people all the time who are sort of waiting for a great life to happen.
0: Mm.
1: not understanding, not consciously putting together. Uh, that life is like Legos, you know, it's simply the sum of what you snap together on a daily or or an hourly basis even. So if you want a good life, you have to have a good hour. And uh, for me, it's always been, uh, you know, I want to have as much planned out as I can, as much discipline as I can bring to a day so that I have the freedom to do the things that really make life extraordinary. Uh, my wife and I adopted a, a little simple motto, uh, when we first got married, that, you know, we didn't need to live a legendary life where we go off and help the natives of Guatemala or something of that nature. And there's nothing wrong with people who are doing that, of course. I'm glad that those people exist in the world. But we knew it wasn't us. We just wanted to live a life a little less ordinary.
0: Yeah. And, and then- so,
1: you know, anytime we can add a yeah, add a little bit of magic into the next hour, uh, then that's what we want to do just some little uh fairy dust sprinkled on the next uh, interaction that we have together to increase that uh experience for us for our kids especially uh for anyone sort of in our orbit you know that 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 little phrase a life less ordinary has uh has always improved our decision making and um just something that that makes it nicer to be us
0: yeah choosing a a a good partner uh spouse and in in this circumstance your wife um it's one of the most if not the most important decisions that a person can make because you want to be on the same page and share the same values and be leading the same magical life or working to get to that spot how how intentional were you and how intentional was she or is this something that You've worked on just kind of along the uh just um along the way.
1: I think the answer to both of those questions is yes <laughs> <laughs> uh we We tried to be intentional in the choice of one another, of course, uh and so after you know we we got married and we realized that this other person was uh truly a distinct separate person, uh you know then the work really began, right. And um, and you learn some of the hard lessons of not only marriage, but any partnership, any combination of, uh, of people, which is, uh, you know, one for us has been there is no 50-50 in relationships. Each participant has to be uh, ready and willing to do 100% of the load 100% of the time with 0% of the gratitude. You know, it's it, it's that you have to be working on whatever is the larger um, uh focus of the relationship. So in a marriage, for example, you know we know that being married, having a family living our life of values into the next generation, this is bigger than um, you know us maybe uh, having an argument uh, or or going co- cool on each other for a little while or or falling in and out of love with each other, which people do inside of marriage and never want to admit or or talk about. Um, in a business partnership, the same rules apply there. You know, sometimes your, your business partner loses interest in the business for a little while. They want to pursue other interests, that sort of thing. But uh, if the if the business opportunity is big enough, you know, if it's important enough to both of you, then the other person has to be willing to step in and do 100% of the work, even though it violates the principles of fairness, which really, they just really have no place in a discussion of a relationship like it never matters if it's fair or not it matters are you achieving the overall goal that you've both set out to achieve whether that be a marriage or in a business
0: i think that that is also a, 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 a pretty powerful thing um, hmm. do you think that 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 our sort of obsession with with work-life balance that that's kind of screwing up that principle that you were just talking about?
1: I do. I, we, we try to live a much more organic um, orientation to the things that we're doing. Uh, my wife, you know, she lets me do all the work that I have to do, and I'm, I'm a very busy person. And, uh, you know, when COVID hit, it, it wasn't like the work went away. It just moved into the house. And so, uh, you know, she was extremely uh, good and always is good about uh, helping me build you know, a life that supports the life that we want to have. Um, and so the concept of work-life balance, I always have felt as a very inorganic thing. In other words, you have, to, um, it, it, you have to make this binary decision that at this moment, work or life is more important to me. And, um, and I, I never like that. I want people to be in love with the work that they do because it is a part of their life. And um, and and some of my executive executive coaching clients, unfortunately, very often I coach them to get out of that work, whatever it happens to be, because it's robbing them of joy. It's not contributing to a, um, you know, to a life that they will remember their entire life, uh, that sort of thing. And so, you know, uh, I I don't buy the concept of work life uh, balance. That may be because I don't have much of a work life balance. I do what is required at the time so um you know there have been times when i've been on a zoom call where my kids have needed me for a piece of homework and it's a very easy discussion in my own head to say which is more important um for the remainder of my life this zoom call or or that kid learning math well that's easy (laughs) so that zoom call ends pretty quickly you know
0: (laughs) i guess it depends on the subject Just kidding. I'm, I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> like, listen, the algebra. Not, that that could totally wait. No, of course I'm kidding. <laughs> <clears throat> well, I think that that's that's, and I imagine that you're 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 in a, you're in a coaching engagement with somebody, and they're they're doing X, and they say, you know, I've been doing this for for 15 years, and there's no way that I could ever do anything else. But the reality is that they hate it that without you there to help them sort of pull the eject button or lever or whatever that might be and, and and figure out what the parachute is and find a landing spot that there's no way that they would ever change gears and they would probably just keep doing what they were doing.
1: Yeah. And I don't think I'm unique in that at all. I think um, the whole concept of executive coaches, you know, who, who help people navigate through those feelings, um and, and those realities, I think that's a very prevalent thing and and I'm glad that people are out there doing it. Um, the toughest person that I ever worked with uh, was exactly that kind of uh, question that came up and it was it was my belief that that person couldn't do anything else and be compensated you know in the way that they needed to be compensated for their life and um, that sort of thing, and so you know, the coaching wasn't you need to quit and go, um, you know, sew purses out of yarn or something like whatever people would find passion to be. Uh, it was you need to grow up and fall in love with this work again, because this is the only work that you can do, um, and and achieve the goals that you've set out for yourself to do. And love is a verb, but it's a decision as well. And it's time for you to make the decision to fall in love with this work again. And it took a, a year's worth of coaching and, and interaction for the person to be able to do that and to find gratitude uh, in having the opportunity to do that work. Uh, and I'm happy to say that, that that person grew in their career. They they were promoted in their job. They have had far more success in doing it. And it was a real lesson to me that when I get let's just call it distracted, not burned out. <laughs> when I get, you know, burned out on something or distracted, uh, it's a decision that I need to make to fall in love with a work. And if I can't make it, I need to go find work that I can fall in love with.
0: Yeah. yeah I appreciate that. How do you think about intuition and, 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 and gut instinct?
1: Uh, you know, I tend to be a, a pretty gut oriented um, person. And because of that, maybe I've justified a lot of my decisions because they felt right at yeah. the time. Um, I have a belief system that says that we are created in three different dimensions an intellectual dimension, emotional dimension, and then this third dimension, which is sort of where our identity is housed, this identificational uh, dimension. And until those three dimensions are brought into congruence, in other words, until the things that I think mirror the way that I feel and and fit into a framework of, of who I believe I am, the quality of the decision is never going to feel good. What I have noticed in my own life is when those three things are congruent, then my gut registers uh, you know, an opinion or my intuition says, yes, this is the right decision for you to make or something of that nature. I don't necessarily know that those decisions are um, <clears throat> are uh, more correct, sort of quantifiably more correct, but I do know that they, they have a quality that other decisions don't. Uh, to wit, those decisions that I make from a congruent space are decisions that I can commit emotional energy to, to making sure that they are um, they are true and right for me. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer that people should do that interior work in those three dimensions and then the quality of their lives improve because they are living into who they see themselves um, uh, as already.
0: Yeah, that certainly does make sense. And if you can get those aligned, well, that means, theoretically speaking, that you're really doing exactly what you should be doing and you're going to, to reach the level of success that you, even if, 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 if you're currently doing what it is that, that, that you really should be doing, doing the, (laughs) and then doing the work, I imagine that that probably is of immense value as well as just a confirmation.
1: I mean, that's exactly it. That's, that's the crosshairs that I try to get executives into is number one, we do a lot of interior work in my coaching. Uh, and I do it with organizations as well, because organizations are simply collections of people. And so when we, when we do organizational design and organizational consulting, one of the things we want to figure out is how does this organization think? You know, what are the mental activities that the organization is called on to perform for others? How does it feel? Uh, you know, emotionally, what happens when something goes wrong in this organization? Do we do we have a, a downshift in energy? And then third, you know, what is the uh, the identity? How what's the self image? How does this business see itself uh, through the actions of its people? So we do that with executives, and we do it with organizations uh, all the time. And then in the executive uh, coaching piece, and this is the subject of a, a book that I've just brought out. Um, you know, when I'm working with CEOs, we talk about what are the three things that you're supposed to be doing that no one else really can do. Only you have the visibility into the into the challenges and the ability to set policy and, and assign action to make those three things as good as they can be. And uh, so the book is called a CEO only does three things, and those three things are culture, people. And numbers. I'm happy to get into that with you if you want to. But but the putting those two things in the crosshairs that we're we're focusing on the three dimensions, and then in terms of the CEO, we're focusing on having that person do the work in culture, people, and numbers that only he or she can do. I
0: love it, and that certainly does make sense. Um, And it goes back to the delegation piece as well. And exactly. Making sure that, that you're being true to yourself and and to the organization with with which your tasks tasked at leading um and and honoring and, and showing up for, for the people in the organization and, and, and everything else. So I think that how 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 long did it take you to um sort of come up with with with, with this framework?
1: Um, So I spent my early career sort of always being in the C-suite and around the C-suite members. So, um, you know, helping out with deals and that sort of thing. I took a a law degree and worked inside, um, you know, uh, 1.0 internet companies like WebMD, AOL, Earthlink, and those kinds of companies. And I was always, because I was involved in deals, I was always in um, you know, in the, the C-suite, I was always in the room when the CEO was deciding something or negotiating something. And so I was super privileged to to watch how various uh, men and women in various size businesses approached their their daily task lists and, and how they achieved the mission long term. And it was really interesting to me. I learned a lot uh, from doing that. Um, and then it, it coalesced for me. Uh, when I heard one of the great uh, venture capitalists of the world, Fred Wilson, he founded um a couple of venture capital firms, but Union Square ventures is his is his firm, and he writes a a blog and um you know about how do we make venture investments, and that's one of the that's one of the three three you know sort of businesses that I run uh for the family but uh Fred was speaking, and he said one day he came in and he knew he had to sort of replace the CEO of a company they had invested in. And he was talking to an older mentor who had been through this many times. And the mentor asked him, you know, what, what's the challenge here? And, and Fred immediately put his head in his hands and he says, you know, I don't know what a CEO is supposed to do. Hmm. Like, what's the job description for a CEO? It's the only job in the building that doesn't have a job description attached to the personnel file. And the older guy said, well, it's easy. You know, they, uh, they make sure that the culture is healthy. They make sure that they've got the right people on board and they make sure they've got enough money in the bank to make things happen. And uh, so I distilled those down into culture, people and numbers, completely ripped, uh, ripped Fred off and turned it <laughs> into a book and a consulting practice. <laughs> uh, but don't worry, it's okay, because I sent him a copy, a handwritten, uh, you know, inscribed copy of the book. So uh, he's, he's getting that this week.
0: I, I think that's fantastic. I love it. <laughs> well, Trey, Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them?
1: You know, I think that the key is for anybody is if you take anything away from this, is to get that monkey off your back. Uh, Harvard Business Review, the most downloaded article they ever had was about this idea that we let employees come in and take the monkey off of their back and put it onto ours. And then mm-hmm. at the end of the day or at the end of a, a month, we have 300 monkeys on our back. Get yeah. those monkeys off your back. You know, go to the people who are supposed to be doing the work, delegate and work through with them um, what it is they're supposed to be doing and why they are struggling uh, with doing that if they are. In other words, let others do the work that they're called to do and you do the work that you're called to do.
0: I think that that is great stuff. That definitely gets come on. Come on. Trey, thank you so much for coming on. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? Where can they get a copy of the book?
1: Ah, The book is on uh, Amazon. It's been live. Uh, We're an Amazon bestseller in about three or four different categories, beating out some of my uh, favorite business books, which is such an ego stroke for me. (laughs) Uh, And so you can find the book, A CEO Only Does Three Things by Trey Taylor on Amazon. Uh, You can find us uh, information on our consulting and executive coaching and any of those kinds of engagements at www.trinity-blue.com. That's Trinity Blue is our consulting company. And, uh, look forward to having any of those conversations where I can help somebody.
0: Perfect. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Trey your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to trinity.blue.com, trinity-blue.com and check out all the great resources and everything Trey's working on. Pick up a copy of a CEO only does three things, at Amazon and, um, Start living life more intentionally the way that you want. Thanks, Gintre.
1: Thanks, George. Really appreciate it.
0: And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together. Spending too much time on social is your daily screen time over two hours. Are you a little bit overweight? Not saving enough money? Any or all of these are familiar. Strive could be for you. The Strive. Two week online boot camp will help you to detox your mind, body, and money, getting you on your way to a happier, healthier, wealthier, and more confident life. Go to strivedetox.com, S T R I V E D E T O X.com, and get your mind, body, and money right.